you're tuned in to Dialogues on AI Digital Pathology. In this podcast series, we'll be speaking to medical and industry experts who will be sharing their thoughts on the evolving trends of AI Digital Pathology and its role in finding effective treatments for non-alcoholic steatohepatitis, also known as NASH. Thank you for listening and enjoy the podcast. Hello and welcome to Dialogues on AI Digital Pathology. I'm your host, Cynthia, and I'm very happy to continue this special episode with another two-part podcast with some very important conversations on AI Digital Pathology in NASH Drug Development. In the recent release of Parts 1 and 2 of the special episode, our guest liver pathologists, Professor Pierre Bedosa, Professor Zachary Goodman and Professor David Kleiner spoke about the essential roles of AI digital pathology in training younger pathologists in the scoring and staging of biopsies and aiding expert pathologists in the assessment of NASH characteristics during clinical trials. I'm happy to bring this discussion forward today with our guests who are key opinion leaders in hepatology and thought leaders in NASH from the pharmaceutical industry. They will respond to questions sent in by pharma companies as well as clinical investigators. Before we meet our guests, I'll be handing the mic over to a key member of this podcast, and he is none other than our moderator, Dr. Nikolai Nomov, Senior Advisor for Clinical Research and Drug Development in Liver Diseases at Novartis. Hello, Dr. Nomov, and welcome back. Hello, Cynthia. Thank you for inviting me to be the moderator of this continuation of the special episodes of Dialogues in AI Digital Pathology. Following the previous conversation on this topic with top experts in liver pathology, it is very good of you to set up this podcast and to continue the discussion and hear the views from clinical experts in NASH as well as thought leaders in NASH drug development. It's certainly our pleasure, Dr. Nomov. Now, I'd like to take a moment to ask for your thoughts on this podcast series and how your experience with Dialogues on AI Digital Pathology has been. Sure. AI Digital Pathology is a novel methodology which provides new information and creates new aspects in our understanding of liver diseases and NASH in particular as well as to better define treatment response. Key features, I think, are firstly, a standardized and reproducible quantitation of liver fibrosis, ballooning, and other NASH features on a linear scale. And secondly, it defines new parameters that are not seen by the human eye. For example, dynamics of perisinusoidal fibrosis, septic parameters, more sensitive assessment of fibrosis regression, All these will extend and enrich the information provided by conventional pathology. AI digital pathology, I believe, is very promising, but as a new methodology, there are a number of questions that need to be addressed. In my view, the discussions in the series of dialogues in AI digital pathology involving key stakeholders in NASH management and in NASH drug development are of great value to optimize its place and the potential of digital pathology 
and the great advances that it brings for all involved. That's so wonderful to hear, Dr. Nomov. Thank you so much for your thoughtful summary. Now, I'll hand it over to you to lead the conversation. Thank you, Cynthia. Greetings to everybody and very good day to our panel and to all our listeners. It is my pleasure to join you once again in this discussion of AI digital pathology and its role in enhancing the outputs and knowledge from clinical trials to bring effective treatments to patients with NASH. At that point, I'm very pleased to introduce our panel of guests. Firstly, we have Professor Stephen Harrison, Medical Director of Pinnacle Clinical Research in San Antonio, Texas, USA, and Professor Vlad Ratio, Professor of Hepatology at Sorbonne University and PTS Salpetrier Hospital in Paris, France. Next, we have our thought leaders from the pharmaceutical industry. Dr. Judith Ertel, Senior Clinical Program Lead in NASH at Beringer Ingelheim. Dr. Karin Kondenap, Senior Vice President of Global Drug Discovery at Novo Nordisk. And Kitty Yale, Executive Vice President and Chief Development Officer at Akero Therapeutics. Welcome to this podcast, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you for joining us and for sharing your views. I also would like to thank our listeners for sending the questions that will be discussed with our panel of experts today. So let's begin uh, part three of this special episode podcast by looking back at the recent podcast where our guests, liver pathologists, commented on the role of AI digital pathology for quantitative assessment of NASH features in understanding the disease biology and treatment response. So here is the first question. What is your perspective on the role of AI digital pathology as a hepatologist clinical investigator and, on the other hand, from a pharma company perspective regarding its place in drug development? So I would suggest that we start first with uh, Professor Harrison. Stephen? Eli, thank you for allowing me to respond to that and, and for being on the podcast today. So I think AI digital pathology from a drug development perspective is a disruptive technology. It, as you mentioned, it allows for expansion of our knowledge in NASH histopathology. It allows for standardization. It allows for reproducibility on a very quantitative scale. And I think that will allow us to take the next step in drug development. Why? Well, I think if we're able to standardize a process that can be applicable across a broad range of different studies and trials, as well as its utilization by pathologists as a companion tool to help make more accurate assessments of histopathology. I think at the end of the day, we'll stabilize our placebo response rate. We'll have a better understanding of exactly how the drugs are working in a dose response relationship. And I think it will globally allow us to understand not only what's happening with NASH from a progressive perspective, but also from a regressive perspective. In other words, as our drugs become more impactful on the disease, we will begin to better understand what resolution of this disease looks like. 
And I think that's exciting, not only for non-serotic NASH, but even more importantly, or equally as important, what we're going to be able to do with serotic NASH. And I think that's a really an area of, of huge potential that hasn't been unlocked yet. And AI digital pathology may allow us to crack that code much quicker than we would have just using semi-quantitative assessment. Thank you, Stephen. Certainly one of the big promise of digital pathology is to give us more insights into fibrosis regression, which is not so well defined by the conventional scoring system. So I'd like to turn now to Professor Ratsio. Vlad, what would be your comment, your response to this first question? Thanks also for having me and uh, very glad to be among this very distinguished panel. I think Stephen said most of it, and um, there's not much to disagree with from what he said. There's still a lot to learn about artificial intelligence and, and digital pathology, and, and there are different levels of analysis, I believe, of this, uh, although it's a work in progress. Uh, the first level of analysis is trying to understand a little better uh, all these traumatic situations we've been through in clinical practice where you get a, a liver biopsy and two pathologists read it differently or in clinical trials, where you send slides to trial A, where you have a central pathologist, you have a certain result, and then the, the same slides are being sent to a different sponsor, to a different central pathologist, mostly because there was screen failure in the first trial, and then you get a totally different result. And, and that's from the same biopsy. So at its simplest level, I think all these digital pathology procedures would allow maybe to get rid or circumvent some of the, the pathologist-defined variability in assessing these lesions. And that's a big deal because if we're able to have a sort of automated, reliable, uh, always thorough measurement of all the lesions that uh, everything that's happening on, on a, in a liver biopsy, uh, then that's a, that's a huge leap forward in terms of being sure and have a robust assessment of what's going on in the liver of a patient or of a trial participant. Now, the next level would be what Stephen alluded to and what Nikolai also said, trying to understand from a pathological perspective a bit better what's happening in the hepatic tissue once the fibrogenesis process slows down or if the, on the opposite, if fibrosis keeps uh, building up despite therapy. So, but that's a different story. That is about discovering things that cannot be seen at the naked eye by the pathologist and doing some sort of research and exploratory measurements, either of things that can be assessed by regular pathology or things that we have not looked at with the regular pathology lens or microscope tool, uh, such as the structure of the collagen, the different physical properties of the bundles of extracellular matrix uh, and all the collagenic and non-collagenic material. So, but that is a different story from the first most simple one, which is to have a robust reading. So I think these two are very separate things, but at the moment, at least for the clinical trials we're developing, and we'll have the opportunity to go back to that, the most important advance would be to have a reading that is totally objected and uh, dictated by the machine instead by uh, a particular pathologist. Thank you, Vlad. I'd like to now turn to the colleagues from pharma industry and the second aspect of this question is from pharma company perspective and its place in drug development, how do you see uh, the role of AI digital pathology? Um, can we start with Dr. Judith Ertel from Berger Ingelheim? 
Yes, of course. Thank you very much for the invite. I, I think it's a very important question because, of course, we want to get away from the biopsies, but that will not happen in the very near future. And we need something in between to get away from the imperfect gold standard, the biopsy we currently have, and getting a biomarker, which is reliable, which is easy to take for the patients. I think we have to always think also of the patients. And what Flab just said, to have also not screen failures, to, to really have more valid readings um, so that the patients do not have to go through a biopsy and then have um, be a screen failed. I think that is a big burden for the patients and also for the um, sites. I also think what is very important is uh, for the AI digital pathology is really getting away from the qualitative categorical assessment of the biopsies, which are quite difficult to reach to see an improvement or a worsening, because that is a wide range. So can we be more precise on changes on treatment response? Is AI digital pathology able to give us a more granular view. I, I think that is one big point which speaks for the digital pathology and also for the AI reading. And maybe just one thing to consider, the AI reading, the knowledge put in there is from pathologists. But of course, you can have put multiple pathologists in here, not just the one or two you have as a central reader in your clinical trial. So I think it might give you a much more granular view, which makes decisions or seeing treatment response much easier than what we currently have. Thank you. Thank you, Judith. And I'd like to now invite Dr. Karin Kondenap to comment from her perspective on this question. Yes, thank you, uh, Nikolai, and thank you for uh, Histoindex for the invitation and the opportunity to participate here. So maybe to complement some of the elements that have been already said uh, by, by my colleagues, I, I think it is important to keep in mind that this is uh, most likely not going to replace the pathologist uh, per se, right? But it is uh, has the opportunity to be a very useful tool if uh, to be used by pathologists to help us understand better uh, this disease progression and how do we uh, evaluate a treatment effect. I think it is also uh, quite important to uh, keep in mind that uh, at the end of the day, also from a pharma perspective, what we need to get better understanding is how the changes in the uh, histology reflect not only liver functionality, but at the end of the day, uh, heart outcome for the patients. And I, I do think that here there is an opportunity to leverage this as a tool to help us complement with uh, whatever the normal pathology um, uh, readouts and hopefully by the additional elements that the AI brings to the table, maybe we can paint a better picture as to how this will correlate down the road. But of course, because of the, the lack of um, uh, enough data at the moment, this is something that will have to evolve over the next uh, years or so. Thank you. Thank you, Karin. And now I'd like to ask uh, Kitty Yale to comment on her perspective about the place of AI digital pathology in drug development. Um, and yeah, thank you to Histoindex for inviting me to participate. 
I do think we, we're all in agreement that we really see digital AI pathology as being complementary to more sort of standard pathology um, reading. And I think when we think about the biopsy in general, it is actually a very complex endpoint. You know, we have variability, you know, in terms of where the sample is taken from. You know, we're also very focused on the quality of those biopsy slides and then ultimately imaging where, where you really do need to be very careful in terms of the cutting, the staining and, and then the, the digitization of those. So I think when you can have a methodology that adds a level, will hopefully will reduce your intra-reader variability using the automation, I think really would be helpful. But really, in my perspective, I, I think I'm very aligned with Stephen's comment earlier that where, where I see the, the most use of the digital pathology currently is really in those cirrhotic patients with really very wide levels of collagen in terms of the proportion. I think you can see some patients sort of in the mid um, early digits of 8% all the way up to 30% in terms of proportion of collagen. And, you know, depending on where a patient comes into the study, you know, it's going to be very difficult patient to patient of what actually looks as a one stage improvement in fibrosis. So I think that quantitative understanding of reduction in um, collagen after treatment is going to be very helpful as we move forward really to understand whether a treatment is effective in that patient population and um, what's happening over time. So thank you. Thank you all for your very useful and I would say complementary responses to this question which indicates the complexity also of the subject. Now moving to question number two. What are your views on the utility of AI digital pathology as a tool for assisting pathologists in improving the histological assessment of liver fibrosis? In particular, what will be the advantages for A, patients' eligibility for clinical trials, and B, for evaluation of treatment response? So I'd like to start with Vlad this time so that he has the chance to be first in responding? Um, liver fibrosis is obviously one of the very critical endpoints in terms of NASH trials. It is also probably among all lesions in the liver related to NASH that is most robust in terms of uh, variability between readers, although it does have a large part of uh, subjective variability for its assessment. So I think the main utility of the digital pathology for liver fibrosis would be exactly what the, the first point I was uh, trying to raise a little earlier, which is to make sure that all the slides are read the same way all the time, whether at the beginning of a trial or at the end of a trial. So that way, it's not no longer a matter of individual susceptibility to the lesion uh, that is being shown under the microscope, but it is a sort of a neutral automated process that always reads standardized in a standardized way the same way. It's just a matter of, uh, of standardization of the reading that is independent of a particular person's ability or sensitivity or variability to the lesions. So, and, and this is very critical because as much as the diagnosis of, fibro of cirrhosis, for instance, it's, it's not so much of a problem between different pathologists, although most of the time they would agree on that. Uh, it, it always uh, baffles me how some stages of fibrosis, for instance, you, you take stage two, which is a stage where you get portal and perisocytal fibrosis. 
So the definition seems simple, but in reality, that fibrosis that is in the portal compartment or the perisinusoidal compartment, intralobular, can be so thin, so, so small, so minute, so reduced, that sometimes you wonder whether that's really stage one or stage two. And having a, a machine that always reads the same way and uh, for all patients in a trial, I think introduces a, a large level of confidence. Thank you a lot. Stephen, what would be your comments to question number two? To build off Vlad's comments, he, you know, he and I struggle with very similar issues in clinical trials, and that is we'll you know, just take, a, take an F4 trial, a cirrhotic study, where we screen a patient uh, that we feel clinically is likely to have well-compensated F4 disease. It goes to the pathologist, and the pathologist calls it F3, and they screen fail. So we say, okay, let's turn it around and screen them for an F3 trial. Well, it goes to a different pathologist and they call it F4 and that patient screen fails again. This is the ideal position where I think AI digital pathology can augment the pathologist by providing another piece of information that can be looked at to harmonize the read of the semi-quantitative assessment. We've all seen pictures of AI digital pathology where you see really four different stages of fibrosis in the same liver biopsy specimen. So how does a pathologist supposed to stage that? And I think this is where what I call this disruptive technology can come alongside and provide the pathologist with more information that helps them make I guess, a more solid interpretation of what's happening. And where that comes into play is the inter-observer variability because it be, it steadies the playing field. It gives pathologists common ground from which to look at uh, and, make, and make similar judgments. These are excellent pathologists that are reading these slides. So I feel like where we need to improve is giving them substrate that they can make an educated decision off the different stages of disease. And I think that's where AI digital pathology can be very helpful um, in, in guiding the correct stage of disease, not only at baseline, but at the end of treatment. Thank you, Stephen. Um, Kitty commented on the uh, benefit of digital pathology, especially for patients with cirrhosis. So Kitty, perhaps you can expand and answer this question with respect to evaluation of treatment response in cirrhotic patients or in general as well. Happy to. I do think we're all just maybe briefly talking about diagnosis and eligibility into trials. I think, Stephen, you know, I think we all have the same challenge there really in terms of fighting against the very high screen failure rate that we see in NASH clinical studies. And, and I, I do think anything that could help um, bring that screen failure rate down, you know, will be good for patients, for physicians, and, and also industry. So I think we, we we are really hopeful that that, you know, reducing that intravaria and reader variability and, and increasing the overall um, acceptance into clinical studies um, are, is going to be improved. I think in terms of looking at um, evaluation of treatment response, I mean, I think we, again, are looking for anything that we can possibly do to decrease the variability in terms of looking at those responses. And also, I think we're excited about um, being able to quantify 
response in a way that it's hard with subjective read based purely on the the CRN um, stages of fibrosis. I do think if you were able to quantify somebody at baseline that say had a 25% um, proportion of collagen in, in their liver and you could see that that had reduced down by 50%, but perhaps hadn't um, seen a, a stage reduction, maybe because of the architecture of how, how the collagen is, I think you would see that, that there was a, an overall improvement in that patient. And so I do think, especially, like I said, in the F4 patient population, where you know it may take many, many years for these patients to actually decrease the quantity of collagen to a stage improvement, that being able to see that a drug was moving the patient in the right direction would be incredibly helpful. Thank you, Katie. So I'd like to ask Judith if you could add your comments to this question, please. Absolutely. And I think um, I already also answered a bit in the beginning. So to have really a quantitative assessment where you see maybe even smaller changes within a fibrosis stage, I think that would be very helpful because that would mean that we might be um, put have a treatment response assessment with less patients. So really have uh, don't have to have as many patients in a phase three trial. And especially when we, for example, look at cirrhosis patients, where it's probably quite hard to um, yeah, resolve cirrhosis. So going from F4 to F3 might be very difficult. And just one thought maybe is also might be quite interesting when we talk about the eligibility of the patients for clinical trials. We are still talking for the AI digital pathology criteria or assessment, we are still looking at the staging we do for uh, or which humans do. So the CRN um, dash fibrosis staging. So maybe there has to be added something to make it better the eligibility criteria. So is it really just a qualitative assessment that they are SEPTA or is it also that the patient should have 15, 20% of fibrosis in the liver? I think that would be also quite interesting to see. Thank you. Thank you, Judith. And uh, Karin, what would be your comment to this question, please? Yes, uh, Nicolai, I think just to, to add and again complement, there are a couple of uh, things that I believe could be quite beneficial if the technology would help. And this is the differentiation in the early stages of the disease. Of course, you know, the methodology that we have at the moment, including the, the biopsy, but other markers as well, I think are doing a, a decent job when it comes to F4 uh, patients. But when it uh, we're trying to differentiate better F2 and F3, for example, that's when it gets a little bit more complicated. So if this methodology would allow to have increased sensitivity, that would be, I think, very valuable to be able to identify or select better the, the earlier uh, patients. But also, uh, again, keeping in mind that this is not as a standalone uh, methodology to be used and how can we, uh, in working together with the pathologists and the colleagues doing AI, um, is an integrative analysis of other parameters that at the end uh, could really guide us in the selection of the patients, not only for the eligibility to the uh, trials, but also at the end of the day for the treatment response uh, effect. 
Thank you, Karin. I think that was a very useful overview of that uh, question. And we can now move to question number three, uh, which says, what kind of data would a pharma company need to gain confidence in using AI and digital pathology tools to improve the information from conventional pathology staging of fibrosis? So we recognize the limitations of the current scoring system, the inter and intra variability that exists. So the question is, what would be the confidence that is needed? And may I start first with uh, colleagues from the pharma industry, perhaps? Judith, would you like to start commenting on this question from your perspective, please? Absolutely. Thank you. Um, so what would make me more confident in the AI digital pathology? I think we need some variability reading and it's probably also having some um, inter-digit pathology company reading. So how is that assessed? So can there be like a uh, what you do in normal labs that you have these ring assessments where you send around kind of standard um, um, samples and then they have to assess it. I think that would be quite interesting. And also um, what I think would be needed is very far in the future probably, but how does the reading from the AI digital pathology correlate to the clinical outcomes? I know we don't even have that for the normal pathology, but um, I, I think that would make it very interesting. Thank you. So Kitty, would you like to continue and give your perspective on this question, what would give confidence to a pharma company to use digital pathology tools? I think Judith outlined it um, really nicely. I, I do think, you know, some of the challenges are also that we are, you know, we're looking at a number of different mechanisms of actions and molecules that approach treatment of NASH in different ways. And so as we're looking at the, the programming of the digital pathology algorithms, I think ensuring that the algorithms actually take into account, you know, we have some mechanisms that have a, a very strong metabolic approach and, you know, you, you've got that defatting of the liver and how does that affect a treatment outcome versus a, a directly antifibrotic. And so I think it's just really ensuring the programming is very comprehensive and takes into account different mechanisms of action. And I, I wholeheartedly agree with Judith that, you know, trying to understand really the differences in terms of the programming across different companies with the AI technology and being able to really understand how those programming um, algorithms are different from each other and whether one's better for a particular mechanism of action or for particular stage of disease and trying to work through that. I think we, they'll need to ge generate a lot of data to really to understand the similarities and differences. And then again, how it correlates the things that really matter, like Judith mentioned, which is ultimately long-term clinical outcomes. Thank you, Katie. And uh, Karin, could you please comment and add your perspective on this question? Yes, and I think there are two different uh, uh, views on, on these, depending on what is the stage of development where you're trying to utilize this technology. 
on the one hand, if uh, you are thinking, let's say, say on a phase two type of trial, uh, in general, we are trying to think about methodologies that will allow us to increase the level of confidence that we have on a particular mechanism, either on a directional or on a true quantitable um, uh, assessment of an endpoint. It's not necessarily to the extent of what is going to be the regulatory endpoint uh, as a whole uh, as a whole uh, result. And therefore, in this in this context, I think there is a little bit more room to uh, to use this as a as an exploratory tool, helping generate also some of these correlations uh, that have been mentioned. Not only not only between you know what the the pathologist as a, as an individual is getting, but also how this uh, methodology will complement the results or the add to the reproducibility of results. On the other hand, when we are talking about phase three trials, of course, now this is a different story because then we need to have it more robust, especially if we believe that um, that there will be a path uh, for approval based on this type of data, either, I don't know, necessarily as a standalone, but certainly complementing the efforts on the pathology, where I think in that case, you do need to have more robust evaluation, more data to demonstrate correlations, which, uh, I mean, even today, we are struggling to find uh, any other methodology that we, you know, ambition could have the potential to replace this. We know that at the end of the day, there is still more data to be generated to convince regulators that this is a reliable assessment and uh, one that is worth pursuing. So I think all in all, there is uh, more for us to do in this in this context to utilize it as an exploratory and then build the evidence to help us use it on a more robust uh, basis down the stream for regulatory purposes or you know, for future understanding of the correlation with hard uh, outcomes. Thank you, Karin. So, with the same question, I'd like to turn to the clinical hepatologist. Uh, Stephen, what would be your comment response to this question from the perspective of a clinical investigator? Well, I think I think my colleagues have done a great job of working through some of the, the challenges that we have in clinical trials with NASH and, and maybe where AI digital pathology could assist, but also some of the questions that remain. And so maybe I can just add a little bit of uh, color from my perspective around some of those comments. I absolutely agree with trying to uh, look at the variability that exists with with uh, AI digital pathology, just like we've done with semi-quantitative assessment. We really kind of need to know what our left and right boundaries are with fully quantitative assessment. And there are different ways of doing it, right? You can do what histoindex does, and that's take an unstained slide and look at it from a laser perspective. You could stain it uh, like others, such as Path AI do, uh, uh, look, just taking the H&E and trichrome. So are they the same? Are they different? What are the differences between the two? They do exist. Uh, what's the variability with within each AI technique and between each AI technique? And, and there are more than just those two out there. I just bring those uh, into the discussion uh, as examples. I also think that, you know, outcomes are going to be critical. And, and I think this is another question that we're going to ask, but it, it is one I, I feel like that could be answered relatively quickly. So if you remember back to a presentation Arun gave at AASLD in the fall, albeit virtually, it was just taking a piece of the regenerate data and looking at the patients who had an improvement in histopathology 
And, and, and what we found in that particular post hoc analysis was that if you had improvement in histology, you had less of a probability of an outcome. So, so build on that, right? Why can't we look at those patients and see what their change in collagen area actually is relative to the semi-quantitative read of a one-stage improvement in fibrosis, for instance? Because if you take those exact same patients and you say, well, this is how they improve semi-quantitatively and that correlated with an improvement in outcome, we should be able to look at the same data with AI digital pathology and begin to put a percent change with that that also was associated with that outcome measure. So as we generate more of these data sets, I think it will help us unravel some of the mysteries around what that percent change might be for a specific uh, AI digital path component, whether it be fibrosis, um, ballooning, you know, that's another one. I mean, if for ballooning, historically, you have to go from whatever ballooning there is, two or one, you have to get that to zero and you get no partial credit. But what if we went from large clusters to only a single isolated balloon hepatocyte? My guess is that actually is very helpful and would have inferences to downstaging of fibrosis over time and ultimately on outcome measures. The final thing I think that's worth mentioning is if you look at all of the different studies, and I, I show this slide every time I give a lecture on NASH and I speak about uh, drug development. You know, when we look at the placebo response rate for NASH resolution, and we look at it for fibrosis improvement, it's all over the map. And we, we often wonder why the placebo response rate is as high as it is. And, and with good reason, we, we often see that it's, it's the lifestyle modification that we speak of at the entrance to a trial and, and that it maybe is varied across sites. And so we've done a bit of a job to try to standardize that lifestyle modification approach. And, and I think that's going to help. In fact, there are newer tools out there to help guide us in understanding exactly what type of dietary change patients had over the course of the study. But I think another area that affects placebo response rate is the semi-quantitative read. And I, 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 I'm hopeful that AI digital pathology will stabilize placebo response rates. Now, we need to do the work and we need to show that, but I think that would be another potential uh, opportunity in drug development to utilize this additional tool uh, as, we, as we begin to look at responses over time to treatment. Thank you, Stephen. And, and now, Vlad, what would be your perspective and what would give you confidence to use AI digital pathology tools uh, to improve the information from conventional pathology? Yeah, so at, at its simplest level, again, if AI digital pathology is about automated reading of a slide, uh, reading of the conventional histological lesions that are being described in the NASH CRN, then what would enhance my confidence is to see the process through which the machine learning has been achieved, meaning how many slides the machine was fed in order to recognize the lesions, how many pathologists have agreed upon the reality of the lesions presented to the machine? Is it only two or three pathologists, or is it uh, 100 pathologists that agreed and provided a whole spectrum 
of the lesions to be recognized by the automated reading. Uh, and so that's the first thing. So how well, uh, what's the quality of the data that served for the automated reading and for the machine learning process? Because we know that uh, if you want robust assessment, you need to feed the machine a lot of data. The second point is once you have done that and you reached a reasonable number of or, or amount of information you have provided the machine to sort through and the machine now has an algorithm and, and gives you a reading, the second step would be to, that would increase my confidence would be if that reading the machine provides is certified and agreed upon by the same pathologists uh, as in the beginning. Some, some sort of backtracking where you go back to the pathologist and they agree that the machine is not giving totally uh, uh, incongruent results or something that's totally fant fant fantasy type of results. So I think this has to be done very carefully. And if that is done, that, that would be fine for automated reading. And again, for me today, that would be the, the most important advance in terms of digital pathology, to have a robust standardized reading. Now, briefly, for the second part of that, which is more related to sort of research and development, if I can say, in digital pathology, which is to try to understand uh, more minute type of lesions that can um, forecast uh, either deterioration or regression of, uh, of liver injury, fibrosis, ballooning, et cetera. So that is a very different story. For me to have confidence in what the machine describes, and an example would be what uh, Arun Sanyal has shown from uh, the Tropifex or uh, flight FXR study. Those changes that have been clearly pointed out by the, by the machine. For me to be confident that those changes are meaningful, what I need is both the demonstration that ultimately these changes will result in, in, in old-fashioned histological regression or progression as we can read it nowadays through a microscope by a human person. And second, that these changes are associated with clinical outcomes, as you all pointed out. Before we do that, we were, we're not sure at all that those very fancy descriptions of uh, things that only the machine can see in the process of either progression or regression of the liver injury are meaningful of outcomes and therefore can be used to predict outcomes or can be used simply, period. So unless we, we do that work, and that work, of course, will, will take a very long time to, to be done. So different levels of analysis, and therefore the factors that will increase my confidence are very different depending on what you ask the machine to do. Thank you a lot. I think that was very useful uh, analysis, comments on this question three. And the next is question four. And I'd like to remind you that this is the last question in part three of this special episode. and. Uh, we will continue in part four with more questions uh, to our expert uh, panel. So here is uh, question four. Some companies have been utilizing AI digital pathology as one of the secondary endpoints for quantifying uh, fibrosis and zonal changes in their NASH clinical trials. In your opinion, how would the FDA view such data? So I would put this question first to Stephen. Thanks, Nikolai. So I I think in my discussions with the, the FDA, they, they're willing to look at all the data. 
but they're data-driven people, and they're very cautious at making major changes without very prescriptive um, formal analysis of the data and, you know, a, a decent number of data points from which to make a decision. However, I think that using this AI digital pathology as a, as a secondary endpoint in an early phase trial is helpful for several reasons. Uh, number one, a lot of these early phase trials are relatively underpowered. And, and you know, the typical phase 2A study has 100, 150 people. The, the typical 2B is somewhere around 200 to 250 patients. And usually there's two arms and maybe three arms and a placebo. So when you look at each cohort, they're, they're limited in their overall number of data points. And using semi-quantitative assessment of either NASH resolution or fibrosis improvement, uh, sometimes you, you can't see the full spectrum of change that has occurred. And I think Kitty alluded to this already. So, you know, if you, if you have a patient let's just take fibrosis, for instance, that enrolls in there a stage two. Uh, maybe they're at the upper end of stage two, if you will. And on repeat liver biopsy, there's been improvement, but it's not enough to make it a stage one. So on a fully quantitative scale, let's say you go from a, a 2.9 down to a, a 2.1. So there's been improvement, but it's not enough for the pathologist to say you've actually made a one-point change in fibrosis or a one-stage change. Well, when we've looked at that fully quantitatively, you, you do see changes, and that's been shown in multiple different drugs and multiple different mechanisms already, and that's been helpful in powering the next stage of development. So maybe you didn't see improvement semi-quantitatively in fibrosis, but you did on fully quantitative assessment. That, that actually informs the, the pharma company as to what they're likely to see if they treat longer, they have more patients enrolled, or they change the dose of medication that's being studied. So for that reason, it helps the pharma company. But back to the FDA, all the data that's being collected, I think, is critically important. And that speaks to the recent comment I made about the Regenerate trial, where we're able to then superimpose some of these fully quantitative changes that we're seeing against semi-quantitative assessment that has already been correlated to an outcome measure. And that data collectively accumulating over time will bring confidence to the agency, confidence to the pharma companies, confidence to the payer, and confidence to the investigator that uh, what we're seeing with AI digital pathology uh, is applicable, not only in helping us enroll the right patients, but in predicting the outcomes that we're hopeful to find. Thank you, Stephen. And in line with your comment, I would like to bring up the points that the FDA brought up at their very useful webcast in February this year, where the agency stated that they have an open mind, they interested to hear more about this new approach with respect to AI digital pathology, 
and they encouraged sponsors to come up with the results and discuss these results with the FDA, precisely as Stephen said, because they are data-driven and scientists as well, and they would like to discuss the results. So, Vlad, uh, what would be your comment on this uh, question, please? Yeah, so obviously the FDA would not say anything that, to the contrary. Of course, they would like to see these results and uh, and uh, if in the future, whether the near future or more long-term future, they would have to make a decision about accepting these type of uh, indicators driven from the digital pathology, they need to get used with this type of data and have enough time to think about them. So I, I think it's, it's, it's entirely understandable that they want to uh, accumulate through the trials knowledge and data on these. But at the end of the day, I, it is pretty clear to everybody what the criteria the, the, the regulatory agency use for drug approval. And those are entirely based on histological surrogates, the old-fashioned histology, and of course on clinical outcomes on the other hand for the long-term trials. So I think the way the FDA would react to those secondary out, uh, outcomes or endpoints uh, expressed through digital pathology imaging, it, it will depend on the question that's being asked. Is it a phase three or a phase two trial? And I think it would also depend on whether the conventional histology result is positive or negative. What I mean by conventional histology is the regular uh, reading of the histological slides by a pathologist like we used to do and we keep doing. So I think those are the two main elements. So just to explain, for instance, if you're dealing with a phase three trial, uh, if your secondary endpoints obtained through digital pathology are entirely uh, going in the same direction, congruent with the histological findings, they'll be very happy about that. But if you miss the histologic, I, my, my feeling would be that if you miss the histological endpoints as defined by them with a traditional approach, there is no, at this point, no additional information driven by or provided by digital pathology that would make them change their assessment. And that would still be a negative trial. Uh, however, for an earlier phase trial, uh, when you run into problems explained by Stephen, which are shorter exposure and certainly a smaller sample size, the information provided by digital pathology as a secondary outcome could corroborate changes that exist or trends that are being seen with the classical uh, histological readings. Uh, and that would give maybe more confidence for moving forward. But I guess my point is that, is that nothing will replace at this point a negative result with a traditional histology. Uh, and uh, uh, and uh, that, 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 I think, determines the way the FDA would look at the data. So if you have trends, but you fail to reach statistical significance because of sample size or insufficient duration, and then you do see on digital pathology some changes that are clear because it's more quantitative, more sensitive to change, fine. That would be agencies would accept to look instead of at the positive findings from digital pathology. Thank you, Vlad. That was a very clear and comprehensive answer. I'll turn the question now to the colleagues from pharma industry. Can we start with Karin, please? Yes, and I think uh, to complement what uh, what Vlad was alluding to, I think uh, uh, obviously yes, the the FDA has very strict uh, criteria at the moment in terms of what is needed for approval and so on. But when you were talking about an earlier trial, 
uh, remember I was also alluding to you know the the level of confidence that we can generate by these secondary endpoints and maybe through this discussion uh, with also as uh, I think Kiri was alluding to the the mechanism understanding uh, for example where some of these secondary readouts make pointers in the right direction if the mechanism that we believe is having a play it is actually uh, being present and can we actually detect changes on that basis in inflammation for example versus purely antifibrotic mechanisms so maybe together with the um, with a, a typical pathology readout or other analysis, this would help us make a case in terms of internally having an increased level of comfort, but also in the discussions with the, with the regulators for uh, allowing to move forward, even in the context of not a fully positive um, trial because of what has been already mentioned by Stefano Blatt in terms of time of treatment versus size of the, of the, of the trial. So in, in, in other words, I, I do believe that they could have a, a role uh, for different type of discussions with the regulators. Thank you, Karin. And Kitty, could you comment, please? What would be your perspective to this question? I think I'm in alignment um, with some of the others. I think in early drug development, getting of more in-depth quantitative um, understanding of histopathological findings really is incredibly valuable. Understanding how your mechanism of action is altering the liver pathology and then allowing you to really think about how you're hiring um, future studies, how long you require for a treatment duration and, and whether, you know, allowing you to maybe also make a, a sort of more in-depth sort of understanding when you're comparing two different doses of your um, molecule that you're studying. And so I do think that in-depth information is always going to be helpful, but I think I'm in alignment with the others. I think we, we need to generate a lot of data before we're really going to be able to influence the regulators. And I don't see just in the immediate future any possibility of changing what's really being asked for in terms of acceptable endpoints for regulatory approval. But I do think with enough data generated that really um, could allow us to move in that direction in the future. And Judith, could I ask you please to comment on this as well? So I think um, I want to echo what everybody else said. I think that the FDA, but also EMA, are very open to look at these data. However, they are not going to grant approval for um, digital pathology assessments. They still base it on the, the conditional approval, at least if some, some compound will make it to that point. Um, by the human red um, pathology and then also the clinical outcomes. However, I, th I think they're very open to look at it. And what I think, um, want to comment also what Stephen said regarding the un underpowered clinical trials. I think with being more granular, having a more quantitative assessments, we probably will not be as underpowered anymore. So maybe we get more insight in the compound and are even better in um, planning, designing the phase three trials because we have more data for uh, from the phase two trials. And also what I think what we are always 
not talking about. We are think we are talking about we want to see fibrosis improvement, and that is what we are mainly looking at, um, which is difficult to achieve. And we are also, but at the end, we want to improve the outcomes. We want to have less outcomes in the treated patient population. So if the quantification via the AI digital pathology is sensitive enough, so the variability is low and we can really see small changes, maybe we can already see in phase two trials changes in the progression of um, on placebo versus the compound. So that would probably give us more confidence in the real effect on clinical outcomes for the compounds. And um, of course, that is now the, the pharmaceutical companies, but I think that is also data the FDA wants to see because the biopsy is just a surrogate uh, biomarker which is not yet proven that it really correlates the improvement of fibrosis, that it correlates with uh, reducing the relative risk reduction, uh, relative risk uh, of a decompensation or uh, progression event. Thank you. So at that point, I'd like to thank all panel members for active uh, contribution. We have come to the end of part three of this podcast episode, and we will still have more questions to discuss. So please stay tuned as the next part four of this podcast will follow very soon after this broadcast. Thank you all for listening and see you again in part four.